Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of the Mysterious Benedict Society Read Aloud Podcast Book 4. Today, we'll be reading chapter 18, but first, a recap of chapter 17. And guys, this is a super short summary because the chapter before was super short, so you should just know that. The children were running out of time, and Kate wasn't going to be able to make it to the electrical panel. In about three seconds, Rennie came up with a plan B that had Kate forget the panel, get to safety, and all the barriers would come down. Sticky and Rennie figured out the code Mr. Benedict gave them for the security doors is to live. But soon we found out Kate disregarded Rennie's orders and successfully reached the panel in time to rewire it. Chapter 18, The Wolf at the Door. With a glance at the computer, Sticky confirmed that Kate had rewired the electrical panel properly. The barrier over the barracks entrance, believing it was already down, had not dropped. Nor would it when the four of them entered the override codes for the security doors between themselves and the barracks entrance. Once they were in position there, Kate had rewired the panel. They'd be able to trigger that barrier as they slipped into the barracks, leaving one more obstacle between them and the baker's dozen. Rennie told Kate that they would notify her when they were ready. Kate, still lying on the floor, presented a weak thumbs up to the camera. Rennie switched to a monitor to a view of the empty corridor. Time to move, Sticky said quietly. He rose and put on his backpack. Constance, however, crossed her arms and was glaring at the barrier. She gave every impression of staying exactly where she was. Ty, for his part, was looking apologetically at Rennie. I guess I shouldn't have cheered, he said in a meek voice. I don't know why, but I'm sorry. Rennie, taken aback, tried not to show it. He had been worrying about Ty's cheer, it was true. You don't need to be sorry, he said. He jerked his thumb toward the barrier. I would rather just those meanies not know you're here if we can help it. Same goes for you, Constance. Let's get you out of this room pronto. In response, Constance merely intensified her glare. Constance? Sticky took Ty's hand. Let's have a look at those ramps, he said in a cheerful voice. We can wait for these two at the top. Okay, said Ty, eagerly tugging Sticky to the door. Sticky gave Rennie a look that said good luck, then closed the door behind them. So I guess we're waiting to say hello, Rennie said. When Constance didn't respond, he took a deep breath and moved to stand by her side. His mouth was dry and he found he didn't know what to do with his hands. First he crossed his arm like Constance's, then he let them hang at his sides, and finally he clasped his hands behind him. They didn't wait long. A knock sounded at the door behind the barrier. Little pig, little pig, let me in. The doorknob turned, the door opened, and McCracken filled its frame, his shoulders almost touching the door jams on either side of him. His glistening, well-coughed brown hair almost brushed the ceiling. It was impossible to see him beyond to the passage. McCracken smiled, revealing a row of perfectly straight, perfectly white teeth. Aren't you going to say something about your chinny-chin-chins? No? He tapped the barrier with a fingernail and then leaned forward to sniff it, his huge nostrils flaring. Glastanium, he said. Well, well, that's top-notch. I suppose the idea is that when the special forces arrive, they want to be able to see what's waiting for them on the other side. Rennie said nothing. He could feel his clasped hands trembling behind his back. He knew he and Constance were protected by the barrier, but in the looming presence of McCracken, he didn't feel the least bit safe. I have a little secret for you, McCracken said. No one is going to be arriving. No special forces. No help. Just us. He put on a pitying look. Are you hoping I'm wrong? Are you thinking that even now distress signal is being sent out to the mainland, where officials are scrambling to respond? Do you think a whole army of special operatives is being dispatched to help you? Is that what you're counting on? Is that why you're standing here so defiantly? You think everything's going to be all right? He clucked and shook his head. Poor, sad little chickies. 
Rennie had no answer to this. He waited to see if Constance would say something, but she only glared at McCracken. If she felt the fear he felt, she certainly didn't show it. Here's the truth, McCracken went on. He drummed his fingers on the barrier, a jaunty little tap, 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 tap. We have our disruptor up and running. We've plugged into the tidal turbine power grid, so it will function as long as we need. No signals from the island can reach the mainland, I'm afraid. And when we take this down, he wrapped the barrier so sharply with one knuckle that Rennie and Constance flinched at the sound. We'll do it so quietly you won't even hear it yourselves. How exactly do you intend to do that, Rennie said. He spoke casually as if genuinely curious. Doesn't the blast radius of your calculator bombs exceed the range of your noise cancellation device? Wait, no, don't tell me. I suppose you brought some sort of armor for the device, or else your plan to shelter it in one of the rooms off the passage. That's risky, though. The walls between your section and ours have been reinforced, but I don't know about the walls of those rooms on your side. McCracken looked amused. Why, Rennie, dear, are you actually trying to help me? He put his hands on the massive chest. I'm touched. You're very kind. Or perhaps you're hoping to slow us down by making us rethink our plans, hmm? If you must know, we have armor for our device, and we intend to shelter it in the nearest room. It's being installed as we speak. Do you intend to wait around for the show, or shall we catch up with you later? We'll be moving along, Rennie said. Constance didn't move, however, and so he remained where he was, hands behind his back, as if simply waiting for the appropriate moment. A wise decision, McCracken said. Much better for your health in the short term, at any rate. But, Rennie, as long as we're speaking candidly, allow me to make a proposal— this one, he said, flicking his fingers in Constance's direction, without looking at her. This little scowling songbird of yours is of great interest to me. I can't tell you how delighted I am to discover she's here with you. Now, what if I were to tell you that I could actually help make your precious delivery to your beloved Mr. Benedict? I understood you're finding it challenging. I have it on good authority that you've been in here racking your brains to solve some kind of riddle. Oh, does that surprise you? I know a great many things you might not expect. At any rate, McCracken continued with a friendly smile. I would gladly help you, and what's more, I would guarantee your safety I would, because, you see, I don't truly consider you a threat. We could work out an arrangement for your friends as well. All you have to do is give us your little scowler here. Oh, see how she scowls. He laughed and turned his gaze directly on Constance. Does that frighten you, Ducky? You know that you're important to us? To consider that your friends might actually give you up to save themselves? That doesn't frighten her, Rennie said, his voice quavering with anger, because she knows it isn't a possibility. Well, well, McCracken said, still gazing at Constance with amusement. If a look could hurt me, I'd be in agony right now, wouldn't I? A voice from behind McCracken called out, Almost ready, old sport. With an expression of mock regret, McCracken bowed. I'm so sorry we'll have to interrupt our little chat for now, but, Rennie dear, do keep my proposal in mind. You might find it easier to reject now, with this barrier between us. Later, however, you might find it suits your purpose to give the offer more serious thought. Don't count on it, Rennie said coolly. For the first time, Constance moved, her arms still crossed. She stepped forward until she was inches from the barrier. McCracken raised his eyebrows. He cocked his head to the side and waited to see what she would do. Your pants are unzipped, Constance said simply. Then she turned on her heel and walked to the door. Rennie quickly followed her, but not before he saw McCracken give a start and check a zipper. Made you look, Constance called without even glancing back. She threw open the door and went out. Up the ramps they hurried, joining Sticky and Ty at the top, then up a stairway into an old classroom building, where they used to override code to pass through the first security door. They scurried down a remarkably long corridor, the appearance of which had a strange effect on the society members. 
for although in their time at the Institute they'd never been down this particular one, which lacked the yellow tiles that indicated the students to which corridors were permissible. In all other respects, the tiles, stone walls, and ceilings were both intimately familiar and weirdly alien. It was a place from a dream, a bad dream at that, and yet as their feet quickly covered ground, they all felt how far they had traveled in other ways since their last days here. Surely the ceilings aren't actually lower, are they? Sticky puffed. I was wondering the same thing, said Rennie, puffing even harder because he was carrying Ty on his back. I think our eyes are just a little closer to them now. I don't like them at all, Ty declared in a tone that suggested he actually did like them, but felt polite to say otherwise. Constance said nothing, only cast sidelong angry looks at Rennie, which he was trying to ignore. They had just passed through the second security door when they felt, but did not hear. The first calculator blast. The wall shivered, and dust fell from the ceiling above them. The second blast came a minute later. They tried to quicken their steps, with only moderate success. They're in the secondary control room, Constance panted. Her eyes were open, but they had a dazed look about them, and she was running with her hand on Sticky's elbow, letting him guide her as she peered mentally elsewhere. They have the schematics up on the computer. He's sending his fastest men ahead, giving them laser pointers to get through the security doors. They're trying to catch us before we reach the barracks. Too bad for them, Ty declared, right? The others made unintelligible, gasping replies. Rennie, why are you thinking about SQ's feet again? Ty said, laughing. And why are you pretending to be afraid of them? Here's the next security door, panted Rennie, whose fear was very real, though not actually related to SQ Bedellian's feet. Sticky quickly punched in the code, and the four of them burst through the door. Straight ahead in the distance, they saw the final security door, the entrance to the barracks. And halfway down the corridor on the left was one that Kate would use as a shortcut. Even as they spotted it, Kate's voice came over their walkie-talkies. Any day now, people. Sticky ran down the door on the left, entered the code, and held the door open. Wire away, he gasped into his walkie-talkie. And I know it goes without saying, but, um, the faster the better. That did go without saying, said Kate's reply. Constance, Rennie, and Ty hurried to the end of the corridor, where they waited by the barracks' entrance. Ty tapped Rennie on the shoulder and pointed happily at the gap in the ceiling. Yes, up there was a barrier that would save them from their pursuers, but only if Sticky had properly understood the schematics, and Kate rewired the panel properly, and Kate managed to get from here to there before McCracken's fastest men caught up to them. Yep, Rennie said. He found he could say nothing more. Something clicked inside the wall. From a distance came the sound of rapid, pounding footsteps. Rennie watched Sticky at the other door, eager for a sign of Kate's appearance. Uh-oh, said Constance. She was looking down the corridor at the security door, through which they had just come. It was closed, and it looked just as it had before she spoke, but Rennie's stomach flopped. He listened to Kate's footsteps growing louder by the second, made a quick mental calculation, and entered the code. A bell began to clang. The recorded voice issued its repetitive warning. Stiggy let go of the door he was holding open, and ran toward the others. An instant later, Kate flew through the closing door, her bucket once again securely fastened at her hip. An instant after that, a glowing red spot appeared near the handle of the security door at the end of the corridor. The door handle clattered to the floor. The door opened. Rennie was reaching for the door in front of him, when suddenly Kate was beside him, smashing it open, shoving him and Ty through it, reaching back to grab Stiggy and Constance and yanking them forward too, faster than they would have moved on their own, and finally leaping through the door herself just as the barrier came down. No sooner had it dropped into place than two razor-sharp pencils cracked against it and fell into pieces to the floor. In the open doorway at the end of the corridor, the Cats brothers shrugged, exchanged looks of mutual regret, and retreated from view. Hooray! Ty shouted as he climbed to his feet, for Kate's push had sent him and Rennie sprawling to the floor, and he skipped from person to person giving hugs. The others, in various stages of agitation and excitement, from their close call, hugged him back fiercely. They were in a large, dimly lit place, with very high ceilings. 
rather like gymnasium missing its bleachers, at the center of which appeared to be a small garden of flowering plants. The gurgle of a fountain could be heard from the direction of the garden. Renny, wondering about how the plants needed for sunlight, looked up at the high ceiling and discovered three skylights, no doubt made of glass stanium, and currently reflecting the soft artificial lights from below. As the others stood taking it all in, Ty moved toward the garden. After two steps, there was a clonking sound, and he staggered backward, rubbing his face. He giggled. He had walked directly into a transparent wall. I think it's a kind of exercise space, Renny said. He pointed to the garden. You could just make out our reflections there, see? Everyone stared, and sure enough, barely visible, ghostly versions of themselves were assembled among the plants. The garden's surrounded by a glass stadium, too. Between that wall and this one, there's a lot of room for walking around. Did you see on the blueprint, Sticky? Yes, though they didn't identify the nature of the room. We're in a protected passage that runs around the perimeter. Sticky pointed to the far right corner of the huge room. There's a door back there that leads to the main control room, and on the opposite side, to the left of the garden, is a hallway that leads to the security suites. The empty ones, that is. There's almost certainly a barrier blocking it off now. Everyone squinted in that direction, and sure enough, they could all see the opening of a far-off hallway, but the dim light and distance prevented all but Kate from spotting the barrier. What can I tell you? Kate asked. I have good eyes. So, George, you said the empty security suites are down that hallway? What about Mr. Curtin's? His is separated from all the others, Sticky replied. It's on the right side beyond the control room. Mr. Curtin gets his own special space? Ty asked. It's the most secure, Sticky replied. Not that it's likely anybody could break out of the other security suites, but Mr. Curtin's that much harder. There's one more thing from the gold key that we have to figure out to reach Mr. Benedict. I'll share it when we get there. Why are they called security suites? Ty asked. That sounds really nice, like suites that you can eat. But if you're in one, aren't you a prisoner? Which isn't nice? Siggy smiled and tapped his nose. Exactly. It's kind of a joke. When this place was an institute, there were lots of things that sounded nice, but actually weren't. Everyone rested up, said Kate, who didn't seem very well rested herself. In fact, she appeared to be trembling. Her race to the electrical panel had taken a toll on her. We shook it moving. Who knows how long we have? I do, Kanzu said flatly. She was digging something out of a pocket in her flight suit, a granola bar. She handed it to Kate. Here, eat this. I think you need it. Kate accepted it gratefully. Why in the world do you have a granola bar? Constance shrugged. Number two offered it to me back at Mr. Cole's house. I only accepted it because I thought it was a candy bar. Constance, did you just say that you knew how long we had? Rennie asked. Yep, said Constance tersely, and the reason I know is because I read McCracken's mind. They only had three laser pointers and two calculator bombs left. They've used them all up, which means they can't get through this barrier. It won't lift for 24 hours, right? So yeah, I know how long we have. Ty lifted his hands as if to cheer, but sensing that the mood was not quite right for cheering, he lowered his hands again and said nothing. Well done, Sir Benny, though he could tell from Constance's look and tone that she would just as soon bite him as accept for any compliment from him. I thought you might be trying to find that out. That's one reason I mentioned the calculator bombs to him, to make him think specifically about them. Yeah, well, I didn't need your help, Constance snapped, any more than I needed you to tell me to get out of that room. I'm done with your deciding things for me without asking. What? Constance, of all the times. How about we move this conversation into the control room, Stiggy interrupted. He pointed through the barrier. I'd rather not be standing here when they show up. I don't want to have them look at me. They all knew what Stiggy meant. Few things were as unnerving as having a tin man stare at you, so casually sure of his power over you, so certain that he could crush you under his heel, and so happy to do just that if the opportunity arose. Let's do, said Kate, leading the way. She took a small canteen from inside her jacket, sipped from it, and handed it to Ty. And how about everybody has a drink of water? Maybe that will help us calm down. It's full, Ty declared. Didn't you drink any after you ran? I was too tired to unscrew the cap, Kate said. 
By the time they entered the control room, everyone had had a drink of water, but not everyone had calmed down. Constance stalked to an empty bench against the rear wall. The bench was the only noticeable difference between the main control room and the secondary one. Pulled her hair over her eyes and sat down in a huff. Ty climbed into the bench beside her, swinging his legs and watching with interest to see what the others would do. They aren't just going to give up, Franny said. No, Siggy agreed, taking a seat at the computer. I'll see if I can figure out what they might try. The two monitors on the wall currently displayed the empty front plaza and the entrance to the barracks. Rennie went to the control board and began flipping switches. The secondary control room only has an access to the security cameras in the outer section. This one connects to all of them. We can see out there, but they can't see in here, so that's something anyway. Can't we see what they're up to? Kate asked. Rennie quickly ran through all the views of the classroom building corridors, all of them empty. They must still be in the control room, he said, probably sitting at the computer doing exactly what we're doing, trying to figure out how they might get in here. That would be a tight fit, Ty said. The whole baker's dozen? Good point, Rennie said. Some are probably still on the passage. He began flicking through the displays of the barracks. There weren't a great many. There was the exercise space, a few long curving corridors, an empty room of no obvious purpose, the open doorways of the dozen or so unoccupied security suites. They look cozy, Ty remarked. Various maintenance closets, storage rooms, and staff lounge, part of a long hallway whose walls, curiously enough, were painted in a green plaid pattern. And finally, a large, mysterious-looking space with an extremely wide gap in the floor. And beyond the gap, another security door. George, said Rennie, can you give us some explanation about what we're seeing here? He flipped the views back to the empty room. Sticky looked up from the computer. That's a safe room, he said. If there's a breakout or some kind of other threat, any guards or staff in this section can run in there and drop a barrier over the doorway. It can also be dropped from here in the control room. It isn't on the same system as the other barriers. It doesn't get triggered by the override codes or anything like that, but it works the same way. If you drop the safe room barrier, a distress signal goes out, and it won't open for 24 hours. Well, unless the people in the safe room push the button again, in which case the clock resets for another 24 hours. That way you can stay safe for as long as necessary. What if you had to go to the bathroom, Ty asked. There's a toilet in there, Stiggy said. The camera just doesn't show it. Ty wrinkled his nose. Could a person inside the safe room raise the barrier if everything seemed okay? Rennie asked. Evidently not. I think it's to prevent a hostage situation. If you were in the safe room, but I wasn't, and a prisoner was threatening to hurt me if you didn't raise the barrier, well, you might raise it. But what if the prisoner was lying? To think the system was designed to avoid that kind of scenario. Okay, and what about the last two places, Kate asked. I'm curious about the green plaid hallway. I mean, I think I can guess where it leads. Rennie changed the displays accordingly. Siggy glanced at the computer screen, then back at the displays. You're right. The green plaid hallway leads back to Mr. Kern's security suite. It takes you to that giant, weird-looking room with the part of the floor missing. The door on the other side of the gap is the entrance to his security suite. Which is where my dad is, Constance cried, leaping to her feet. If it's that simple, we should go straight there. He needs a serum. And so does Mr. Curtin, Ty said, likewise leaping. Constance shot him a look. Like I care, Ty shrugged. It's true, though. There's a problem, Rennie said, pointing to the display of the green plaid hallway. I didn't see it at first, but I knew something looked odd. See that small, shiny spot in the air? That's light reflecting off something. A barrier? Kate asked. He's right, says Tiki, furiously tapping at the computer again. It dropped when we entered the override code. Are you kidding me? Constance shouted. That means we're cut off from my dad. Why didn't you think about that before? Because I didn't know before, Sticky snapped. I haven't had complete information, Constance. I'm doing the best I can. Rennie cut in, speaking softly. If you want to blame someone, Constance, blame me. I figured it would happen. This was the only way. You what? Constance snarled. She grabbed Rennie's arm and shook it. You what? 
Okay, okay, Kate interjected, making calm down gestures with her hands. Let's all take deep breaths here. We, oh, very good, Ty, you can let it out now. We have time to work on the problem. Mr. Benedict's going to be okay. The rest of us know this, Constance, and if you concentrate, you'll see that. He's not suffering or sick or anything like that, all right? He's fine, and we have time to figure out how to reach him. Um, Sticky said, pointing to the computer screen. That actually might be changing. Someone's in the system. He's altered something. Probably Sharp, Kate said. He's a computer expert. It is Sharp, called Constance, who had released Rennie's arm and covered her eyes. Give me a minute, Siggy said. He paged through a few screens of computer code. He lingered on the last screen for several seconds. Okay, not good. He turned in his chair to face them. He found a loophole. What is it with all these loopholes, Constance cried. She crossed her arms and began to pace. Siggy cleared his throat. Here's the thing. Sharp couldn't just give a command to raise the barriers. They don't work that way. It's impossible. But what he figured out what he could do with some clever reprogramming was change the time interval. Can you override it? Kate asked. Not until the cycle is complete. Once the barriers go up, I can change it back and fix the loophole, and I can enter the command to drop them again right away. But there's that ten second delay. Right, said Rennie, and we can be sure that they'll be gathered at the entrance of this section, ready to hurry through the moment the barrier goes up. Okay, what sort of deadline are we looking at? How much time? Stiggy rubbed his head. He changed the interval from hours to minutes, so, well, 24 minutes. 24 minutes? Constance cried. Is that bad? asked Ty, looking face to face. I feel like that's bad. Not necessarily, said Rennie. Everyone turned to stare at him. In fact, Rennie said, I think it's exactly what we need. Thank you.